0: Good afternoon. This is Greg Lois. I'm the managing partner of Lois, LLC, and if you're with us today, it's to learn about motions for MED and TEMP in New Jersey and how to defend them. Uh, this is our uh, monthly webinar series that we do in New Jersey. It's always the fourth Monday of the month. Just a quick reminder, we also do a webinar series on New York workers' compensation topics, uh, and that's always the third Monday of the month. Uh, If you ever miss a webinar, they're all on our website, uh, recorded uh, with video, with audio, and also with transcription. So you don't even have to listen to them uh, with the audio up. You can just watch the uh, discussion occur in front of you live. I hope everyone who's watching today has a copy of our handout, a copy of my book, and is subscribing to our newsletter. If not, uh, please let me know, and we'll add you to all of that uh, uh, outreach that we do. I do expect for the 2018 edition of my New Jersey Handbook uh, to be out next month. All right, this is totally live. Uh, Please feel free to ask questions. I know everyone has a lot of questions about the season finale of Game of Thrones last night. Uh, Feel free to ask me questions about that because I'm still trying to wrap my head around exactly what happened. Uh, But this is completely and totally live, and I will be getting to your questions. You don't have to ask questions about today's topic. It can be any topic in New Jersey workers' compensation law. Um, Just to give a brief overview of where we are in our webinar, our training series, uh, we're finishing up this month a discussion of benefits. Uh, Last month, we did temporary disability benefits. This month, we're going to be doing medical and motions for med and temp. And starting next month, we're going to get into more and more complicated or complex topics in New Jersey workers' comp defense, so stick around for that. All right, just as a quick reminder, Uh, There are only four benefits available to a petitioner in a New Jersey worker's compensation claim, and those are medical benefits, lost time benefits, permanency disability benefits, which we're going to cover in November, um, and finally death benefits. Uh, We don't even do a presentation on death benefits. We roll that into our discussion of trial and judgment. But this month we're going to be talking about medical benefits and motions for medical and temporary disability benefits in particular. Uh, We will get to permanency benefits uh, in our November presentation. All right, why do we care about this topic? This is a hot topic in New Jersey workers' compensation because this is one of the only ways, motions for medical and temporary disability benefits, that we can lose medical control in our case. One of the uh, most powerful tools we have in resolving workers' compensation claims in New Jersey and keeping claim costs low is the fact that we get to pick and choose the physicians that the petitioner can see. We authorize all medical care, we direct them to care, and uh, your risk professionals, the adjusters on your team, are able to set up medical appointments, interact directly with the medical providers, and this is a great asset to us in resolving these cases quickly and also making sure, by the way, that the petitioner gets to a good physician In other jurisdictions where the petitioner can choose any doctor they want to go to, they're not necessarily going to the best physicians. They're going to the ones that their attorneys are telling them to go to. And, of course, those ulterior motives of staying out of work forever and being temporarily disabled forever uh, absolutely impede their recovery. Uh, So why we care about this topic is we don't want to lose medical control. That's number one. But the other thing is uh, there is a fee shifting that occurs when the petitioner is successful with a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits. That is, where the petitioner successfully argues that the medical treatment we have offered and provided and authorized is not enough, um, the petitioner's attorney is paid a fee on that medical treatment that they win for their uh, petitioner. So this absolutely provides an incentive to petitioner's counsel, and some of them are quite predacious about filing these motions, for them to seek additional care. Uh, They absolutely have a fee interest. So how much medical treatment is enough? Well, uh, under our New Jersey statute, Section 15, we have to provide all medical treatment necessary to cure and relieve the petitioner of the effects of their injury. This is sometimes confused by petitioners and petitioner's counsel to think that somehow we're going to get them back to how they were before the injury date, uh, you know, back to perfect. No, uh, our goal and the uh, requirement of the statute is simply to get them as best as we can, as cured as possible. It's not to get them back to perfect, and oftentimes that's not possible. That's why there are awards for permanent residual disability uh, called permanency. But the statute requires that we get them back to uh, as best we can and to reach maximum medical improvement. Once we get the petitioner to maximum medical improvement, which is defined as a medical uh, plateau, after which point further curative care is not possible, at that point, We are still responsible to provide palliative care if any is necessary, and that could be maintenance care, that could be ongoing medications, that could be physical therapy visits perhaps to keep them limber or to keep them moving. Um, But our goal under the workers' compensation statute and our responsibility is to get them as uh, cured as we possibly can. Uh, That uh, uh, requirement ends when they reach maximum medical improvement, and often there's a dispute. Uh, sometimes there will be a petitioner who says, Well, maybe I could get the surgery, or maybe I could go see the specialist, and there's maybe more treatment courses out there. Uh, so that's where the, these disputes arise from. Now, the good news for us as the employer or the carrier is that the petitioner's remedy. When they believe they have uh, not received all the medical care that is necessary to cure and relieve them is through the workers compensation system. they do not have the right to sue the insurance carrier or to sue the employer directly and in fact, petitioners have attempted that uh, this although this did end uh, primarily before our new statute was adopted in one thousand nine hundred and seventy nine uh, where the Petitioner would say, hey, uh, there's this other experimental treatment that's available, or maybe there's more care that would fix me, and you, insurance carrier, have denied this care. That's bad faith, and I'm going to uh, bring a direct claim against you or direct claim against the employer, uh, oftentimes in the self-insured context, saying you've denied me uh, the uh, medical treatment which was necessary to cure and relieve me of the effects of this injury. Uh, There's wonderful case law that says absolutely not. Uh, The jurisdiction of the workers' compensation court uh, is the only jurisdiction that the petitioner has to make that argument, and so all of those claims are thrown out. However, we're still going to be exposed for attorney's fees when we're not successful in defending a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits. That is to say that where the petitioner's attorney is successful and argues successfully before the workers' compensation judge, the judge There was additional uh, treatment that was necessary, that was curative, that could have relieved the petitioner of the effects of their injury, and the petitioner wanted that treatment, and it was denied, Uh, the judge will generally sign an order. The order will state uh, very clearly what the medical treatment should be, and the petitioner's attorney is awarded a fee on that. Uh, A couple words of caution about this. Again, petitioners counsel are very motivated to file these motions for medical and temporary disability benefits. Uh, These motions are often defective on their face, and I'm going to get into the motion defenses that we have that discuss that. Uh, But I often see motions that are filed that simply say, petitioner needs a second opinion, petitioner wants to go to a new specialist, petitioner wants X, Y, and Z, without a physician directing that care. We get it, Uh, petitioners always want more treatment, or maybe they always want more treatment, or maybe they want a second opinion, Uh, but that's not curative necessary treatment, second opinions. Um, I also want to caution everyone listening about orders that say, quote, fee to abide. And that's where a petitioner's attorney has prevailed with their motion. They've got an order for the judge, and the judge says something very basic like, uh, petitioner is to, be provided with authorized treatment with doctors so-and-so um, Respondent is to authorize this treatment fee to abide everyone who's watching I put this very early in the presentation I want you to not accept those types of orders uh, it is not in our benefit to have the judge say things like quote fee to abide or you know attorneys fee to be determined later no nope. we want to have the judge sign an order that would Uh, direct a very specific course of care and award a fee at the time the order is entered. And the reason for that is because the petitioner's treatment path may go down uh, several different pathways and you'll end up at the end of the case ready to resolve the claim on permanency and now petitioner's counsel is claiming a fee for all medical care that's been provided ever since the motion was filed. And that could be a year ago and there could be all sorts of new treatment that uh, resulted from the motion that was not contemplated in the original motion. And so we'll talk about that in a second, but that's one of the big takeaways from today. Make sure that the fee is listed in the order if an order is entered against you. All right, parts of a motion. There is a formal form that is listed on the Workers' Compensation board's, uh, sorry, Division's website. That form is not actually required Uh, No form is required before the Division of Workers' Compensation, but it is suggested, and we do see most petitioners' counsel use the form. But the regulations require not just the filling out of a one-page form signed by the petitioners' counsel. It also requires an affidavit of the treating physician or a party in interest, and that would typically be the petitioner stating, here's the medical treatment that I want, and I will get this medical treatment if it is authorized. The burden of that proof is on the petitioner. Again, oftentimes we are disputing that the motion itself, even if the judge was to accept it, is defective on its face because it doesn't include something as basic as a medical report stating what specific treatment is actually being sought, or a statement by the petitioner stating, hi, if." This is authorized or ordered by you, Your Honor. I will actually go get this treatment. Uh, So we'll talk about a little more about the defenses to motions in a second. Let's walk through the typical motion. All right, the typical motion is filed by the petitioner. We have to file our answer within 21 days. The only exception to that 21-day requirement is where the motion is filed at the same time the original claim petition is filed. In that case, we get 30 days to respond to the motion. And that 30-day period is the same 30-day period, by the way, that we have to answer to a claim petition. Within that 30 days, uh, we must get that, uh, an IME date to provide to the judge. Um, the IME report should be received before the case is conferenced, before the judge of compensation. However, in my experience, that's almost impossible to do. Um, some physicians and some of our favorite physicians do hold aside days per month so that they're sort of available for an emergent, I need an IME right now type of situation, but many don't. Uh, Many times the motion is filed and the case is conferenced first with a workers' compensation law judge before the IME report is obtained. It's most important that when we are going to get an IME uh, to dispute the need for further medical treatment, that it it is at least uh, described and placed in our answering statement to the motion for met intent so that we're advising the judge, hey, look, we didn't get the, the IME report done, but here it is. Here's the day it's scheduled. That's good for everybody because it gives the judge an opportunity to say, okay, let's put this off until you get your IME report. let lets all the parties know when that IME report is going to be obtained. Okay. Um, the cases are all conferenced with a workers' compensation judge in my Uh, experience, judges are very sensitive to the issues surrounding disputed uh, medical care. Um, Generally speaking, and this uh, is the Division of Workers' Compensation, not the Division of Employers, uh, the the judges uh, lean towards trying to allow the petitioner to have additional medical care. Um, the, there are exceptions to that, and we'll talk about that a little bit, but the exceptions are generally just asking for second opinions or third opinions. Uh, generally multiple surgical consults are declined. Um, but generally speaking, the judge of compensation's uh, general bias would be to try to get the petitioner to obtain the additional medical care. Of course, this can be disputed, and even after a conference with a worker's compensation judge, uh, we can dispute these matters, and we can bring them forward to trial, and we can try the cases on all issues. Um, The division also has, and this is since the uh, uh, reforms of 2009 and has been now placed into the regulations, um, there is an emergent motion for medical benefits. And this is really where the petitioner is in dire uh, danger if they do not get emergent medical care. It should be rarely used. It is rarely used. We only see a handful of these a month in this practice. Uh, And this is where the petitioner is saying, if I don't get this specific medical care, and if I don't get this care now, I'm going to have grave consequences to my overall recovery. Um, They're very rare. The timeline is very quick. Uh, The respondent has five days to file their responsive pleading. The case will, every single one of them, will be conferenced with a workers' comp judge. Typically, these conferences take place very quickly and over the phone. At that time, we have to advise the workers' compensation judge if we're going to get an IME, and we have to get that IME completed within 15 days of the motion filing. So that's an extremely short period of time. In my experience, most of the time when an emergent motion for medical benefits is filed, we're disputing whether this case is even right for an emergent motion. My experience has been almost none of them are. Uh, Almost none of the treatment that's being sought is life-threatening if that treatment is not immediately authorized and provided. So generally speaking, very few emergent motions are actually emergent, actually meet the requirements of the statute, and are actually handled in that manner. Um, If an emergent motion is filed and the workers' compensation judge says, you know what, this is not right for an emergent motion, This this doesn't meet the standard, it then goes back onto the regular motion for medical benefits track. All right. How do we defend? Well, first of all, there's there's three way, main ways we defend. The first is a rules-based analysis. Uh, we are always filing an answering statement so that all of our rights are protected. And then, ultimately, we're going to dispute proofs. Let's talk a little bit about the rules that we're employing because so few of the motions that we see actually comport with the rules. Okay the petitioner is required to show that the treatment is necessary and curative. And I argue, and we file briefs on this all the time, that simply things like repeat MRIs, repeat x-rays, and second opinions is not meet the standard for emergency under a Motion for Medical and uh, Temporary Disability Benefits Analysis. In other words, simply asking for a test, simply asking for a second opinion does not meet the burden of the statute, and those should generally be disputed or resolved out of court. Uh, Second, the regulations require a medical report, and that's not just an out-of-work note. That's not just a one-sentencer. We're looking for a complete medical report, including a narrative, uh, that supports the petitioner's position that they need this medical care or they're going to be in danger. Um, I can also say that Old reports, a report that's six months old or nine months old, we're going to argue, is stale and defective on its face. Also, where there's been superseding treatment, I've had petitioners counsel who have gone back through the medical records towards the end of the case and picked and chosen uh, moments where the treating physician suggested, hey, uh, maybe this person needs this test or maybe they would benefit for physical therapy and they've waited six or seven months, and now they file a motion saying that that treatment from back then was never provided. And our argument will often be, yeah, well there was a new treatment course that was elected by the treating physician, who's the captain of the ship in the case of the patient's care, and that physician has now gone off on a different course, and that uh, treatment course has been superseded. So we make that argument as well. Uh, Finally, uh, we'll make case law arguments that the case is either not ripe for a motion hearing, uh, or the petitioner oftentimes has already received the medical treatment, and the motion is simply defective. They're just asking for us to actually pay for or authorize something which they've already obtained, which is inappropriate. The way I respond to every single motion is by filing an answering statement. The answering statement sets forth my reasons or our reasons for why we are disputing this motion. Um, We always include a certification of counsel, and those would include the exhibits. Because remember, the workers' comp judge who's receiving this case If all they have is their motion papers and we're not providing them with the complete medical records, the complete medical narratives in order, the judge is not going to have enough information in order to decide the motion and you're going to end up going to that conference and nothing will get done because the judge will say, well, show me this record, uh, find me that old MRI, where's the treatment? So we definitely want to provide the medicals to the workers' comp judge so that they have that in front of them. And finally, I always file a brief in opposition and raising all of our legal defenses every single legal defense that we've already covered in this webinar series, and that would include notice, knowledge, statute of limitations, intoxication, disobedience, uh, uh, not arising out of in the course of employment, etc. All of our regular defenses apply to a motion for medical and temporary disability benefits. Oftentimes, uh, hearings on these motions will sort of constitute almost like a mini-trial within a trial because the petitioner still has to show all the elements Of a valid workers' compensation claim, and in a disputed context, if we simply agree to the medical treatment or we don't raise those defenses in our defense to the motion, I believe we may be conceding or waiving them. All right. Uh, This might sound basic, but when we review the petitioner's motion, we say, hey, are they actually requesting the treatment that the doctor has either requested or, or suggesting they would benefit from? And I'll give great examples of that. We've all had. Uh, cases where the petitioner early on in the case it was suggested that they would benefit from a surgery and they said oh I don't want a surgery I'm scared of surgery and instead they go and get some other course of treatment maybe physical therapy maybe something less invasive and uh, then towards the end of the case all of a sudden they file a motion saying I want that surgery Our defense is typically very fact-based and we just say, wait a second, do they really want it? Because they were offered this earlier or this was considered earlier and they said they didn't want surgery. Have they changed their position? And the petitioner will have to state that, often in their affidavit, or come into court and testify and say, yeah, judge, if I was offered that surgery now, I would take that surgery. Um, Another basic is, first, the petitioner has to request the treatment. And this is a tricky one. There is case law out there that says if they've requested treatment, and we've declined to provide it, and then they go and get that treatment and it's curative, in other words, uh, they have improved their condition, then we're responsible for it. In that case is Benson versus Coca-Cola. That case, I think, is often abused by our adversaries because what they do is very early in the very beginning of a case, and this is particularly prevalent in South Jersey in the Camden, or particularly the Atlantic City hearing points, where the uh, adversarial attorney opposing counsel will send some very innocuous letter to my adjuster. It'll say something like, oh, I see you've accepted this case. Um, We understand that the uh, treating physician is X and treating physician has found maximum medical improvement, but my uh, client wants more care. Can you set up a second opinion evaluation? And, you know, we'll ignore that or maybe the adjuster will ignore that and say well, no We don't do second opinions. This is workers compensation in New Jersey. We don't do that And then they'll use that as the basis for a motion later saying I want a second opinion and they'll argue look we requested this Okay, well uh, no that doesn't work also and when you're making a request that's very vague uh, I just want to see a new doctor. That's not enough. It needs there needs to be some degree of specificity to the medical request. It can't be just, I think I want more treatment. It has to say, I want X treatment, this treatment, specific treatment. Um, Finally, the petitioner does not have to file a motion where a request would be futile. And typically, that's the situation where we've already denied the case. We filed a denial type answer, and we've told them we're not authorizing any treatment, we don't think this case is compensable. Well, they don't have to file a motion. They can go get unauthorized treatment. And then under Benson versus Coca-Cola, if the case is ultimately found compensable, can come back into workers' compensation court and say, hey, now you pay for all of these unauthorized bills. All right. So again, the basics are, do they actually want the care? Is there a statement by the petitioner that they would accept it? Uh, and oftentimes, we'll argue, Judge, they've already turned down this treatment. This is not ready for a motion or not ripe for a motion. Let them say they're going to get this treatment first, and then we'll do it. Um, in the rare cases that a motion, most motions for med and temp are resolved by way of compromise. Uh, most of the time, the parties work something out. And in those cases where I compromise, I absolutely stand steadfastly that we should not be paying attorney's fees on those cases. Um, However, sometimes we have to try these cases, and the order of proofs is the same order of proofs as a normal trial. So the petitioner testifies first, then any fact or lay witness we have. So in other words, if we had a defense as to the body part alleged, hey, this body part shouldn't be established in this case, this is the first we're ever hearing of it, or this accident never occurred, we would then bring in our fact witnesses, and then both parties would bring in their medical witnesses, uh, typically uh, over video for us if we can. That's the order of proof. Um, After the order is entered, let's say the case goes against us, that's appealable as of right. So even though the entire case is not resolved, even though the case remains open, there is case law and a court rule that says once money is getting paid to the petitioner, the case is now appealable as of right. I can also report that tiny, tiny percentage of, of motions are actually appealed. Typically, I actually have one up on appeal right now, and that's because there's an issue of coverage in the case. There is uh, case law in New Jersey and regulation that says that where the only dispute is which one of two carriers is the liable carrier, the judge can simply order one or both of them to make payments and let the carriers fight it out later over who is the correct carrier. Um, Again, you have an immediate appealable as of right uh, uh, moment then, uh, that you can have that uh, reviewed by the appellate division. An appeal in New Jersey is directly to the appellate division. You'll get an appellate panel. Um, when the order is entered, our attorneys are going to be extremely cautious about how the order is worded. Wording is important, and we do not want to see orders that simply say, "petitioner receive all medical treatment necessary, or something very open-ended and large like that. I want it to be very specific. I want it to say something like, the petitioner will receive a surgical consultation uh, with Dr. X. And then I want the fee to be based simply on that, that very specific, very narrowly tailored uh, treatment that we're actually providing. And if you you don't do that, what ends up happening is uh, with a very big order where it just says, petitioner to receive more medical treatment, comma, fee to abide, Be warned that after a year of additional medical care, that petitioner's counsel is going to be arguing for a huge fee on all of the medical treatment that was provided afterwards. Um, I always dispute the follow-on treatment uh, if it exceeds that which was specifically worded in the order. My final word about disputing motions in New Jersey is there is no valid motion for temporary disability benefits only. Oftentimes, we'll see motions that say the petitioner needs more treatment, comma, and you owe me all of this temporary disability that was not paid. And once the medical component is resolved, let's say we say, Judge, there's no uh, 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 prima facie case for additional medical care, there should not be an order entered for temp in which the petitioner gets a fee on that order, because it's an impossibility, it's a nullity. It's not possible to file a motion just for temporary disability benefits. The way that's handled in New Jersey Workers' Compensation Courts are, if there's an underpayment of temp during the pendency of the case, that would be resolved at the time permanency, if any, is resolved. All right, so that's a brief overview of this topic. Uh, Let's see if there's any questions, and if you haven't typed your questions in yet, start typing now. I'm gonna go over here to this Uh, Laptop I have on the side, once I get my cursor back, there we go, and see if there's any questions. All right, so far I don't see any. Come on, people, ask me some questions, even if it's just about Game of Thrones, uh, anything. I'm gonna give it about 30 seconds to see if anything pops up. And while people type that in, let's go to the next, let's talk briefly about what we're gonna talk about next month, Next month, we're going to be talking about defending occupational claims in New Jersey. In New Jersey, there is a presumption against occupational claims, and particularly cardiac claims. Um, There is a higher standard and burden of proof for the petitioner to meet in claims of occupational repetitive cumulative trauma, cases like repetitive orthopedics or cumulative exposure cases, respiratory cases, and we're going to be talking about how we defend those in New Jersey next month. Uh, okay, I'm still going back to questions. I don't see any questions popping up, so I think I must have covered this topic great or there's something wrong and I just can't see the questions, but I'm, I'm clicking over here like mad and I don't see any. All right, uh, I hope this was useful for everyone. Thanks for joining me. If, I didn't, if you do have a question and you just couldn't type it in fast enough, please feel free to email it to me and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Um, I hope that we see everybody next month. Okay, have a great week.